I can't even be sure the events ever happened the way I've told them. Perhaps when I'm completely back in this world, I'll turn on this tape and not believe any of it myself, but I doubt it. You got a pencil and paper? I got my tape recorder here. Come on, start talking. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and it is October once again. The air becomes colder, the blood colder than that. It's time for scary stuff again. And spoopy. And spooky stuff, that's right. Spooky stuff. Yeah, we had a whole discussion about that a year ago. Exactly. That really changed how I was looking at a lot of horror stuff, honestly, in the past year, being able to like categorize it across those two. And I, I found that really fun. So I was kind of really excited to get back into our our October events this year, <laughs> because I was wondering if we were going to look at any theming. And I kind of think we've landed on one, but not intentionally. Oh, yeah. What, what is that? I feel like we've got a theme of media. Because uh, both yeah. of our things this month are go- kind of involve an interaction with media inside the narrative. Yeah, I think you are right. That's a good point. I'm not going to give away what our next episode's going to be, mm-hmm. but I think that when people hear that, they are going to uh, they're going to see what you mean about that theme of of media in the context of Halloween sorts of uh, of stories. Oh yeah, but this one was. This one was fun to watch, I gotta say. This one was an interesting trip because I hadn't actually heard of it before. You hadn't even heard of it? I hadn't even heard about it until you mentioned it. But looking into it, I realized, oh, this is one of those linchpins that affected a lot of other stuff I know of. Oh, absolutely. Either explicitly or implicitly, this uh, this had a lot of influence. And this is a a TV series that we we watched. Uh, And, And two movies. And two movies, two TV movies. And we wound up watching more of this than we usually do for a TV series, just because they're they're fun to watch and it's hard to stop once you get going. There is something extremely, and I mean, not just because the opening, and I'm going to have a whole discussion of that, extremely similar to something like a Columbo or a Murder, She Wrote, in terms of this, this bite-sized little pocket of a story you could go into. Right. They all have a, a pretty set formula. You kind of know where things are going to end up. And it was a TV uh, TV series from the 70s, so things wind up ending pretty much where they began, because you've got to be set up for the next formulaic episode. Mm-hmm. And I am not don't mean formulaic in a negative sense. If you have a, a recipe for making a, a really great cake, follow that recipe. Make some great cakes. Oh, Absolutely. And this, we, we've gone this far already without mentioning the name of the show. We watched Kolchak the Night Stalker. That's just an evocative name. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh my goodness. Although it is also a thin man scenario. Yes, because they, they thin manned the title. They thin manned the title so hard here. Because it originated in a TV movie called The Night Stalker. In which Darren McGavin, in a you know, perfect role for Darren McGavin plays a an old-timey, even for the 70s, reporter who winds up on the trail 
of a vampire. And the vampire is the Night Stalker of the title. It's very clearly, once you set that up, like, it is about the vampire, and our lead happens to be the one looking and trying to catch the Night Stalker. Right. Kolchak's a crime reporter. He starts following leads about these strange murders that have occurred in which someone of tremendous strength attacked these people, they're usually young women, and drained all their blood. And he starts putting two and two together and figuring out this is a vampire, and of course nobody believes him. And yeah, that's kind of the formula of the entire, all the movies and the TV series right there. Kolshak follows some clues, discovers there's some supernatural menace, and proves to his own satisfaction that it's true, usually winds up helping rid the world of it, and of course no one believes him. Yeah, that's the thing. No one ever really believes him. He always sticks around. He always dodges the final consequences of it. But he's never believed in that reset. And that's kind of necessary because if suddenly the next episode occurs in a world in which people know there are supernatural monsters, or even if some people in the police force accept the truth of supernatural monsters, suddenly that's a very different world in which Kolchak has to operate. And the story formula doesn't work quite the same way anymore. Absolutely. But for me, it just became this weird thing of the in a world that is proven to have supernatural elements, I think there's something weird with Kolchak. <laughs> and I'll get into that later, because this gets odd at times in terms of how this resets and how this all lines up at times. So it's very much a monster of the week, literally a monster of the week mystery mm -hmm. series. And yeah, those... Sign me up. Those are right up my alley. Those are so much fun. <laughs> a good monster of the week is excellent, excellent fun because you get that that excitement of seeing this new creature, but you can you can kind of ease into it smoother than you can most other narratives because you know the setups and some of the archetypes that will run into this, but that that excitement of the discovery is still there each time because of that new monster every time. And for its time, especially, it was an interesting mix, an interesting balance of kind of classic movie monsters brought into the modern world of the 1970s. So you've got a vampire in modern day Las Vegas. Talk about a place for a vampire to show up. Mm -hmm. You've got a Jack the Ripper or a Jack the Ripper-like uh, uh, immortal in modern-day Chicago. You've got something kind of like that in modern-day Seattle. Well, the way Seattle was modern in the 70s, which is a very different city than it was a few decades later. Absolutely. The, the, the location does play a big part. The first movie is in Las Vegas, so it's got this, this bright lights and such. And the second movie takes place in Seattle, but the rest of this entire series that then spins off of these two movies, is all taking place in Chicago. Which also means that Chicago's monster rate rises <laughs> very, very high. It is the Cabot Cove of monsterdom, huh? Absolutely. And I think there's something very important about setting it in Chicago, because it's not in Los Angeles. 
It's not in New York. It's not one of the cities that appears in TV more frequently. It's in a city that I think a lot of people think of as the the the, the city of the heartland, which geographically and to some extent culturally, I think it is and especially was. So this is not just monsters in the modern world. It's monsters in the middle of America. It's monsters in the place you would least likely to find monsters. And that's where the series that, that relocates Kolshak to Chicago really emphasizes that more. Uh, a place like Las Vegas, yeah, if a, a vampire is going to show up in the modern world, a city that is known for excess and license and people are, are drinking and gambling and staying awake 24-7, you know, that's where a vampire is going to go. Oh, yeah. That first movie does a lot in terms of the setup. In some ways, the fact that we watched the movies first, I don't know how that colored or you know changed the way I watched the show. But it the the setup it gave in that first one, because in the show and in the later stuff, Kolchak has dealt with the supernatural before. He's quicker to jump in. The first movie is where we got get to see him kind of break himself of his own preconceptions to be able to deal with this concept. Right. He's not somebody who went into this already believing in monsters and such. But he is is we show it we see him as a clever and dedicated reporter, willing to cut corners sometimes, but always looking for a source and some information that he can verify. And he didn't have a predisposition to believe in monsters, but he wasn't going to ignore what the evidence he found was showing him. So he came to that conclusion and accepted that conclusion much more quickly than the police or his editor or anybody else around him. And we watch him go from reporting on a murder to being confused by it and doing his research to asking this question at a press conference and getting in trouble. And that just fuels him more. So he goes and looks further because now no one but now he's got something when everyone else is just obfuscating and this cycle continues until he's tracked down the vampire and he has predicted when victims might uh be taken and he's prepared an entire toolkit and he goes for his confrontation and we watch him kind of develop into this he's a reporter searching for truth but we watch him also become this ready for what's gonna happen kind of guy he kind of becomes a um a van helsing over time yeah <laughs> a, a a veteran and prepared monster hunter not necessarily because that's what he set out to do and one thing that we see repeatedly through this kolshak is a character with a great deal of courage yeah he's got social courage in that he doesn't care what people think of him but he he also he's he returns favors and, and tries to get along with people, but that's not his priority. But he's also got a fair amount of physical courage. He will go into very dangerous situations. He'll prepare as much as he can, but he's not going to shrink away from them. And um, very often his, his agility, his deftness, his general competence in physical things doesn't necessarily pay off. It can't necessarily cash those checks that his courage writes. Yeah, <laughs> This is a, he can talk his way out of a lot more situations than he can ever fight his way out of. <laughs> and the talking doesn't necessarily work no. with the, the monsters. And one thing I liked about going back to this and watching the first one is that that vampire, this was not a, 
a new age, happy or angsty vampire. This was a classic Eastern European. I'm going to live forever as long as I can drink your blood. So guess what? I'm going to drink your blood kind of vampire. Dirt of my homeland inside <laughs> yeah. the coffin I sleep in, in the old abandoned house kind of vampire. Utterly classic. And yeah, seeing that in, in 1970s Las Vegas, pretty cool. But it's also seeing a guy in 1970s Las Vegas show up with a steak and mallet and big silver cross and just be like, <laughs> everything I've read says this is what I'll need. I was not expecting to do this this week, but I'm here now. <laughs> And he's doing it. That is fun. And that's what, for me, makes Kolshak, the movies and the TV series, kind of a bridge from the classic Universal monster movies that were old, old reruns when I was a kid, but I got to watch them. And the modern horror movie, monster movie genre. Because it really does bridge those. Because some of the episodes of the series are about these classical monsters in the in the modern world. Others are weird brand new threats like UFOs and killer robots and things like that. It had had a lot of um, of both sides of that. And even the presentation has a a modern twist because he's not just a newspaper man. He is taking photos and he has his tape recorder with him. And that means that the entirety of the show and the all the movies have this narration via tape recording. From Kolchak. He's he's playing for you, the audience, I guess? Or he's playing back the tape of his encounter, of it, him talking about it. And that means that the entire thing has him as this narrator figure after the whole story's happened. And that also adds to this air of mystery, but it also adds to this... You have come across a thing, or you've be you've become the person who gets to hear this story that is otherwise not going to be told. And it's very much setting us up in the hard-boiled private eye kind of trope, where the stories are essentially narrated by Carl Kolshak because of the way, as you say, we get those those tapes. And very often the episode will begin at the end of all the action, and we either see Carl narrating his conclusion and beginning to narrate the story into his tape recorder, or sitting at his typewriter and listening to the tape so that he can uh, start to write his article based upon what he recorded all that time. So it, uh, it, it really puts us in that detective private eye mode, as well as giving us that framing device. And I... Um, I really like the fact that he's always got with him this cassette recorder, enormous, even by the you know, Walkman 1980s standards, and a, a really cool camera. Yeah, that's a cool... Yeah. Especially uh, in the show, he gets this tiny little flippity camera that's really cool. Yeah, this really is a Raleigh sub-miniature um, camera, sometimes thought of as a spy camera, but he's always got these two things hanging on... Uh, on cords around his neck so he's never without his uh his tape recorder and his camera and i just thought the idea of like always being ready to do your job with the technology that was the most up to date for all of his old fashionedness using an old under underwood typewriter uh which was i think old even in the 70s and the suits that he wears that he's like always wearing the same 
suit and either white shoes or sneakers and this battered straw hat. Take a look around that corner. See if there isn't someone there that looks like he just came from a road company performance on the front page. Uh, if, if you're looking for a Halloween costume this year, you can just, you know, set this up pretty fast, <laughs> you know, and then just like pace your room and narrate whatever you just went through in the last week into this tape recorder and you'll pull off a very very excellent Kolshak costume that you don't even have to leave anywhere for because he spends half the endings of these episodes trapped in some place doing the recording not sure if he'll leave but he's fine by the next episode and the way he's dressed all the time it literally is there's no change he is never looks like he belongs where he is but he's never more out of place in one place than another. He can be very out of place in a, you know, a, a bar in Skid Row, and he can be very out of place at an embassy dinner, and he's still just him. He doesn't quite belong wherever he is, but he somehow manages to, to work wherever he is. He is. He is able to just kind of blend in anywhere. He is the right kind of gen of not generic but just kind of he's able to to move around in, in that yeah i don't uniform i don't know what to say i don't think i would agree that he can blend in anywhere he he's always the sore thumb who sticks out but he is able to insinuate himself into any situation mostly by guts and fast talking yeah and sometimes ingratiate himself with the mm -hmm. right people. So he can manage to get himself into where he needs to be, but I don't think he has ever blended in anywhere. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> he, 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 he is inconspicuously conspicuous at all times. Yep. But he doesn't stay in, uh, in Las Vegas very long. No, because having caused the stink about a vampire and then dealing with the vampire in the end. Yeah. In the way that gets dealt with. He can't stay there. So he heads on out and brings his editor with him because the editor gets in trouble, too. Well, he is um, he winds up in Seattle. And he's kind of trying to get a job and or trying to convince people that he really did fight with a vampire in Las Vegas. But then his editor, who has changed jobs and gone to work for a paper in Seattle, offers Kolshak a job. Ah, yeah. You, you kind of, I owe you one, but it's against my better judgment, but I know you're a good reporter, but I can't stand working with you. Hey, do you want a job? And immediately, this is rewarded with a fight with a Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I guess it was sort of a Jack the Ripper. Yeah. It this was one was in the TV movie The Night Strangler. Uh, yeah. There's a, a pattern here, as you can see. And it's, no. Of course, the the. Yes. There's yeah. The. <laughs> 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 and... And this was an interesting one in which there was a lot of historical research in the the mystery. Yeah. Because it was this certain pattern of a certain number of very distinctive murders, and they were happening at like generational intervals. And of course, Kolshak, with the help of the newspaper's archives guy, uncovers the pattern and figures out where to track this guy down. And he faces down this immortal and... I, I, of all the forms of immortality systems we've seen, I, I thought Highlander was kind of harsh at times, but this one's really, really rough for being able to maintain immortality. So Yeah, I mean, he was trying to 
figure out immortality for everybody. He tested it on himself, and it turns out there was a, a, a catch where he needed, like, blood of a certain number of people every 28 years or something like that yeah so yeah that was a a little bit of a hitch which he was sure that he could could figure out and, and overcome if he just had a few more hundred years to work on it that doesn't that doesn't pan out and now Kolchak is not welcome in another state <laughs> So, and that's when he winds up in Chicago. And I kind of get the impression that he was originally from Chicago based upon some of the things that he says in the TV series. Yeah. It seemed like a, I've, I've gone everywhere and I've come back home. And I think the same is true of his editor. Tony Vincenzo is the editor who has worked with Kolshak in Las Vegas and Seattle and now at, at, uh, in, in Chicago. And he's played by Simon Oakland. And they're like the only two characters who are consistent through the whole thing. and. It's a very classic dynamic, but it's a lot of fun to see them play it out with the frustrated, put-upon editor who is always shouting at this insubordinate employee, and yet he never follows through in his uh, his threats to fire the employee because apparently Kolshak is a good reporter, even though almost all the stories we see him working on never get published. That's the thing. We see a whole lot of stories that never get published, but this is not a a standard newspaper. This is a... A, a a news company that then would sell articles to other papers for publishing, correct? Right. They're a wire service They're, like um, United Press International was, or like the Associated Press was. And this was, I gather, the INS, uh, International News Service, where Tony Vincenzo and Carl Kolschak wind up working. It's apparently, at very least, nationwide. If not, maybe it is international, as its name suggests. But it's not a top-tier wire service. It's somewhere down a few rungs, I, uh, especially uh, judging by the, the size and condition of their Chicago office. Not, uh, not exactly luxury. But they're plugging away, and they've got a couple of reporters. Uh, they've got a, a syndicated advice columnist yeah. who works there in the Chicago office. So um, it kind of gives them a, a consistent home base for all of these you know, monster adventures that happen to come up in Chicago. But you've got to kind of wonder, it's not that Kolshak isn't writing these stories, it's that they never get published to see the light of day. I kind of would think that he would have some, he keeps him on. He keeps Kolshak on, and I keep thinking, maybe he does get a publisher. Maybe there is someone out there who's putting out these, <laughs> and it's not the big happy names he wants, which is why he gets annoyed, but he does still make the little bit off of every bit, because there's someone willing to hear something, or he knows he's got an entire box growing and growing of stories that will be fantastic once he can get someone to buy the full crate. Oh, there's a, there, there's a value, because Tony... Gives him a hard time, but I don't think it was always without belief. It was always dismissive, but it wasn't, no, this didn't exist. This was, I can't publish that. I can't get our people to read that. It was a little more accepting of the premise and a little more rejecting on the methoding. That's a good point. There's usually a point at which Tony flips from, you're out of your mind, Kolshak, this can't be real, go report on a real story to 
yes, I believe this is real, but here are all the real world reasons why we simply cannot go ahead and publish this. So that gives an interesting thing because that dynamic Kolchak is kind of a Cassandra figure. He's constantly <laughs> prophesizing things to never be known. He's uh, he, he he can yell it to the room and somehow by the end of the week, he, they're all still mad at him, but they forget the specifics and they never believe him and he is stuck. But he does still have that one figure which will admit this is happening, but still deny it for a different reason there. That makes him an ally in a very different way. And that's where some of the biggest fights between Kolchak and Vincenzo occur is that Kolchak kind of expects more from Vincenzo once he understands that the Vincenzo believes him. How can you not publish this? Aren't you a newsman like me? And it's, well, yeah, but there are other considerations I have, like keeping this office open, keeping these people employed, etc. It's the fight for the one story versus all the other stories we might be telling. Yeah. Kind of becomes that debate. And that's just an interesting from the news angle of it. And then there are the budget considerations when Kolchak needs an extra camera or special film or has a really bizarre expense that he needs to write off. Yes, build, building an arsenal of uh, monster fighting weapons on the fly does not always come <laughs> cheap. You're, you're pulling silver buttons off of things to melt down into shot versus a werewolf. You are uh, buying film of all different types just to see if the invisible thing is in a spectrum that is in some way capturable. You are, you're doing all sorts of stuff just to yeah. make sure this works. You're there in the office at your desk, loading up a bag full of, of white candles and, and salt and like blessed objects and things like that to fight a zombie. You're apologizing for stealing a bottle of holy water. <laughs> There's all sorts of things. But he, he, he fights an intriguing gamut of monsters overall and is a little bit more prepared each time. There's not a constant continuity, but there is a a sense of momentum, I feel. That's true. I think after the first few, Kolshak is maybe a quicker than he was in the first movie to accept the monster conclusion. Now, part of the reason is that it turned into a, a one-hour TV series, so he's only got 40-some you know, minutes to find, uh, discover what's happening, find the monster, and destroy it. Mm -hmm. But uh, part of that may just be that his mind is open to the fact that there are these weird things and dangerous things in the world. So I knew that uh, I wanted to show you this TV series and that I wanted to go back to it. And I kind of filed it away for us to do it Halloween based upon the, uh, the subject matter. Because this is another one where more than I remember any specific episode, there the, although there were some that I remembered more than I expected, I remember this show as a thing, as a kind of force in media when I was a kid. And Ooh. I was like really young when this was on. This was on, what year was it? I believe that was 1974. Yeah, 1974. So I was like eight years old while this was on. Oh, wow. Maybe nine by the time the TV series was ending. And yeah, that's a little bit young to be watching this. Yeah. That's a theme for this podcast generally. But I watched this part because my big brother was really into this. Your Uncle Paul. Oh. My big brother Paul. He, like all, with all of my siblings, there were certain interests that we had in common that overlapped, that we got to bond over. And with Paul, it was monster movies. 
and things like that. So all of, I mentioned the classic Universal monster movies that are kind of referenced by some of these Kolshaks. Every time one of those was on, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Mummy, I watched all of these partly because I got to watch them with my big brother, and if he was this into them, they must really be cool. <laughs> Sometimes I, I would have, they would scare the wits out of me, but I was still glad to be watching them because it was something we got to do. And then there's Kolshak, and he was very, very into this when the movies first came on TV, and then um, shortly after that, the series started. I think especially the movies, but he also watched the TV series. Again, I, I remember this being a really cool thing that I got to do with my big brother. And that, I've always had a fondness for this show for that reason, even if it's been you know, more than a decade since I've seen any of it. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure I showed this to you and that I thought it would be a great thing for us to, uh, uh, to watch at Halloween. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to be included in that then, because this, this was definitely something where I can... I can see it being something you want to talk to people about, where being able to share that experience is definitely a thing. There's there's a that intrigue and that pull and that excitement. Being able to have someone there with you on it is excellent. So I I, I definitely can get that. And hey, now now I get to talk with Uncle Paul about this. Then. So this <laughs> cool. is awesome. And I remember watching some of these, sitting on the floor, watching them through my fingers. Uh, because I was so afraid of what I was seeing in this, this horrifying, realistic-seeming story. And yet, I was still glad to be there. And in addition to the classic monster movies and things, uh, my brother was also into what were more of the kind of the wave of new monster movies in the 70s, like The Legend of Boggy Creek and things like that, and, and you know, cryptid monsters. So, Kolshak kind of combined all of these with the classic vampires and werewolves and the uh the bizarre uh lizard creatures and it really combined all of these horror movie kinds of interests uh grab it drew us both in for that reason it, it definitely is a diverse monster array that it gives so i can definitely see how it would pull from both the the films that you were you're seeing in those other contexts, but also those things with those pre-established legacies, and it it didn't even shy away from pulling historical creatures from other stories. It, now it didn't always do great at those, but it was looking at other culture groups to try to do stuff. It didn't always do them well, but it was at very least more open to doing a, something with those stories than some other horror stories at the time might have. That's true. I mean, you can look at it now and say these are. Well, these are the kinds of outdated cultural depictions that you sometimes see the notices about at the beginning of a movie on the Disney Plus channel or something. Absolutely. But but you're right. I think there was a – there certainly wasn't malice involved, uh, I would think. There may have been a bit of, uh, of, of lack of consideration involved in some of these depictions. Mm-hmm. But it was not – it was also not routinely saying, you know, anybody who's not – you know, white European ancestry is part of the problem by any means. No. Sometimes they were good guys. Sometimes they were bad guys. Uh, but you're right. They had zombies. But the zombie story in this was not a turn of the last, turn of the current century kind of zombie story. This was a Haitian magical zombie brought back from the, from the dead to exact revenge on on his killers, which 
you know, I'm not going to suggest that that is accurate to uh, to that culture, but yeah, you know, they were they were trying to expand the scope of what kind of monsters they dealt with. Exactly, and attempting to do a story, the stories like that, where half the time it was, this is something that's going on, and this culture knows about it, and you you with your with more modern stuff ran right into the middle of this thing and weren't prepared for what's going on. Even if it's not great at depicting what's going on in here, it was trying to open that up, and I can give it credit for that and hope that for later depictions that this might have maybe paved a way for can do a better job actually showing stuff. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's and trying to expand that at least story potential by opening up people to the fact that there are all sorts of different cultural creatures and characters that could be brought into this same sort of narrative grouping. And that yeah, every culture has its monsters. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like that song in the the first uh, Netflix season of Mystery Science Theater. Everyone is a monster, <laughs> exactly. And and Kolshak is is never hesitant to find the people who are going to know about this monster. I mean, this is a a monster from Native American myth. He's going to find the, the educated people who know that culture. He's going to find the, the Native Americans who who are going to be willing to work with him to help protect people. So yeah, it, it, it had potential there. It didn't always live up to it, but it had potential there. Yeah, I mean, we've got that. On the other hand, we have Richard Keel playing a giant Indian, American Indian shape-shifting demon who's going around turning into wolves and killing people. Um, yeah, I'd yeah. say that was maybe a little less culturally sensitive. Exactly, yeah, sensitive. I know, yeah. I'm... <laughs> so yeah, there's there, there are hits and misses where that is concerned. Exactly. But we also get a classic Satanism kind of story where you've got the devil worshiper who is using that to drive his political career and offer sacrifices to his dark lord. Not let him, A, win elections, and B, turn into a dog that kills people. Yeah, that, that one got weird. Yeah, it, it did. And they've got... <laughs> the final episode is is what I can only describe as a slee stack in the warehouse, but it was fun. I I am so torn by that one because, on the one hand, some of the writing is really good. A lot of clever dialogue, a lot of good quips, a few good plot turns as Kolshak figures out a clever way to get into something. But then so much of the production and direction is so clumsy. Mm-hmm. Just because this thing had some big ideas doesn't mean it always had a big budget. Some of these costumes and suits might get silly. Some of it, a lot of its effects were good at times, but some of them don't quite hit the mark. What it was very smart about for most of the series is not showing you very much of these monsters. We don't see very much of the vampire, even in the first TV movie, until the last act. We get we, we we see nothing except what you know the the evidence of his his crimes his murders, and then we start to see glimpses of him as Kolshak and the police to some extent close in, and only much later do we see where he lives and we get to see him as a character and he's now we're finally facing the monster. Same thing with many many of these stories. They got around the fact that they didn't have a big monster budget by showing us just these tantalizing glimpses. In the Night Strangler, it was really at the very end that we see um, this character who's played by the same guy who played Oscar Goldman in The Six Million Dollar Man. 
Oh, goodness. So both Darren McGavin, who is in the pilot of The Six Million Dollar Man, and Richard Anderson, I think his name was, who uh, played Oscar Goldman, are, are in uh, Kolshak stories, although they never had a scene together in The Six Million Dollar Man. No. And, and, the, and the Killer Robot episodes much later in the series, so it doesn't even <laughs> fit there, too. And it didn't add any new sound effects. No, either. it didn't add any new sound effects but, to Kolshak. Yeah, they, um, they should have followed their own good example in that last episode of this one season the show had by showing us much, much less of the monster. Oh, that monster reminded me way too much of those inflatable T-Rex costumes. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. It's like one of those pulling a Kool-Aid man at it the was... very end, but they still draw horror out of it somehow. Right, because of the reactions and the, the, the pacing, but um, there's a little bit of a slee stack in there too. Yeah. A little bit of inflatable Kool-Aid slee stack. But, uh, but yeah, I think it would have been a lot scarier had we only gotten a few glimpses. But here, they gave us brief glimpses at the beginning, and then way too much of this bad rubber suit toward the end. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that in that last episode, they were also changing their formula a bit, and maybe setting themselves up for a second season, maybe changing things as in an effort to convince the network to give them a second season, because they added... A new character who they seem to be setting up to be a prominent character. It was a, a woman police lieutenant. And of course, the lots of talk about the fact that she's a woman police lieutenant, this being the 70s. Mm. But I think they were setting it up to give Kolshak a consistent adversary in the police department, somebody he could spar with a lot, somebody who looks nice on screen. It struck me as one of those kind of network and ratings friendly changes i think it all worked fairly well as far as the characters and the writing go but uh but it didn't work in that they never did get another season this this series had one season it just ends with that no no wrap-up conclusion to the sh story of kolchak in that sense but then it had a long tale of influence oh absolutely did absolutely because Immediately, I know that, like, I was reading, like, how much this was an influence on things like the X-Files. Yeah, Chris Carter makes that plain that Kolchak the Night Stalker it was one of the primary influences on the X-Files. He added the, the 90s-style conspiracy theory stuff, but it was the Monster of the Week was all, all Kolchak. Which, I mean, that fits. It, it, the, the opening of Kolchak is this whistling little ditty that made me think Murder, She Wrote. But the episodes make you feel X-Files. And that is, a, that is an interesting mix to know that this is kind of that, that start of that set of shows and that tone that you get later on in these other things is trying to recapture something from Kolshak. It's fun. And there was a... Um a TV show, it did not last very long. It was, it was like less than a season from around the turn of the current century that I think is also very heavily influenced by the Night Stalker, even though at the time people referenced, pointed more at, um, uh, at the X-Files as an influence. And that is Reeky Links. Huh? I hardly know anybody who has, who's aware of this TV show, but it was... It was about these, this little Scooby gang of young people who ran a website 
a website. This oh my like goodness. 1999, 2000. A website about strange creatures and unexplained phenomenon. Oh goodness. Very, very Scooby-Doo meets Shack the Night Stalker. Oh, and that- I thought this was a cool series. Oh, I must warn everybody. At the time, there was a website connected to this TV series. It was kind of, this was supposed to be the website that the Freaky Links gang was creating. Do not go to the Freaky Links website today in the year 2020. Oh. I made the mistake of doing that not too long ago, wondering, I wonder if that there's anything about that TV series still around. It's a different website now. <laughs> it's still is the name still fits the content of the website, but it's not about cryptids and monsters and unexplained phenomenon. So please if you're looking for something about cryptids and UFOs and unexplained phenomenon, do not go to that website. Don't go to anything with freaky links in the, the domain. This no. has, is, is a public service announcement. Yeah, noted. Okay. <laughs> but that, that digression notwithstanding, freaky links, really cool show. I'm sorry it didn't last longer. Obviously very, very influenced by Shack the Night Stalker. So I, I feel like we're kind of leading into our final questions here, but definitely Shack has had it had a ripple effect in in media from there so it's about it's about what this what the the version of kolshak we see here and what the narrative of the kolshak show becomes becomes more of the final question yeah and of course we could we could go on with other things it's influenced it had its influence on buffy i'm sure oh. it's monster of the week episode oh there's definitely there's more of an influence in the way the sh- the spin-off from buffy angel structured itself with its business home base aspect that reminded me of Kolchak than Buffy itself does. You're absolutely right. The structure of an Angel episode is much more likely to match the structure of a Kolchak episode. But it's like if everybody was simultaneously Kolchak and his editor in the same building. (laughs) But yeah, I think you're right. We are heading towards our, uh, our usual questions. So... Uh, even though it starts with two TV movies, I consider those part of the larger TV series. So let's treat it like a TV series. And that means our first question is binge or no binge. If you can deal with the fact that, as we've stated, it is got some problems with its representation. You know, gold star for trying, but you failed on the actual execution parts of some of its its depictions. I think it's a great background binge. It's not a show that is a perfect, you'll be glued to the screen the entire time. I admit its pacing was weird at times. It was, but it was compelling still. But I would definitely pop on an episode of Kolshak in the background while I did something like fold laundry, honestly. <laughs> because it's just got that, you know, that atmosphere generating kind of effect and that compelling bite-sized little narrative aspect. I would agree. Yeah, it is it it is not necessarily going to take your full attention, but it is worth binging. And one of the reasons that why I say this is worth binging is that it does have this formula. Sometimes it's more successful than others, but that means that if you are if you're if one of the episodes seems like a clunker, the next one might be great. So, you know, you're not necessarily in for the long haul of of terrible stuff. 
Now, that's going to be different for every person. I think that an episode that one person thinks is a clunker may be somebody else's favorite. I mean, maybe you think that the werewolf on a cruise ship is the coolest thing in the world, and somebody else is just going to you know, roll their eyes and say, what's on next? It made me go back and rewatch like part of the first season of Ultimar after that one. <laughs> that was a whole other digression. Yeah. I could see Ultimar adding a a um a werewolf to their storyline somewhere along the line. Yeah, they could do that. Why not? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I agree. This is a, a definitely a binge-worthy uh, a series. It's it's um it's two movies plus uh one season and um they're all fun in some way. So that uh brings up our our next question. Revive, reboot or rest in peace? I kind of, I'm going to say revive. And that's because the media aspect of how Kolchak presents itself gives the most fun opportunity to go in one of two directions, I think. And that's his tapes. <laughs> All of the episodes have Kolchak recording his events on tape. Oh, oh, I almost forgot one of the things we have to point out that was influenced by this. Oh, yes. Twin Peaks. Oh, yes. Twin Peaks. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the narrative into the tape recorder. Oh my goodness, absolutely. It's very Twin Peaks. I'm sorry, you, no, you, no, I, no. I interrupted you, but you mentioning the tape recorder again made me realize, oh yeah, there's a trope for you. No problem. But if you could have, if, if he experienced so many things, but we only saw part of them, there might be a pile of other tapes of Kolshak cases we never saw. And that leads to, if you want to just have the tapes, I think Kolshak has a chance of being revived in the exact same medium you're listening to us now. Audio dramas for Kolshak? I think an audio drama podcast for Kolshak would be excellent. Have him narrate through the stories of what happened. Have him talking about what happened. Especially if you want to play into the fact that Kolshak realizing, I keep on running into things and the amount of monsters in Chicago is huge. And then leaving... Give him, when you don't have a budget of place in the same way, thanks to the audio medium, you could explore more. And have Kolchak going out there, and if they're willing to try to look at other things, you get a chance to redo your depictions here with a revival, but you also get a chance to lean into the fact that it's exploring the worldwide nature of monsters and have him kind of trekking his way across the the world and the United States and all places hmm. running into different monsters in a bit more of their own habitat running into different narratives and stories he doesn't have to worry about getting a set of police mad at him he's getting them mad at him all across the world no matter where he goes oh, so you open it up because the audio medium lets you do so <laughs> I like that idea what in the world is trying to kill Kolchak? <laughs> it becomes a different kind of thing, but it's fun. Yes. And, and the, there's a freedom that the audio-only method would allow. And so I, 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 I was like, ooh, this is, a, this is a tangent we've never explored in terms of how to revive something, but it's something this one could do. And I like that. I do like that idea. And it, it fits in with the fact that Kolchak has been revived in other media before because there have been Kolshak novels Ooh. ties in with Kolshak the Night Stalker and Kolshak comics and the reason why that works so well is 
that it is very formulaic and episodic. You know, if you have a Kolshak novel, where does this fit in the overall narrative arc of Kolshak? It doesn't matter. It was somewhere at the end of one monster story and before the beginning of another monster story. And it's another monster story stuck in the middle. Because things are always the same by the time the monster story is over. So yeah, you could write an infinite number of comics or novels about Kolshak adventures. Absolutely, you could do audio dramas in the same way. Now, one question, are you going to set these in the 1970s? I really think you'd have to. I would if, like that. If you're doing the audio drama, say it in the 1970s. If you wanted, if you were really stuck, you could only, you know, get the funding from from someplace to do it if you made a TV show again. I still think you need tapes of from Kolshak from that time. And all you do is a cold case Kolshak story. You get a current investigator going back to the scene and trying to explore, and you get a little bit of these longer narrative things that were implied the like this will come back this thing ran off into the shadows and escaped me this time and you get someone else following the trail that he's left i'm i'm imagining like a like a a, a couple of years a noah a noah schnapp from uh stranger things yeah playing this you know put on a hoodie put on a headphones he's got a bunch of these digitized tapes from this reporter no one listens to and he's following up on everything and that gives you this classic the coal shack monster of a week but with a a, a coming back to it new twist but i i, I don't mm. want to just repeat the coal shack formula i want to continue the lack of narrative continuity that the original show had yeah, yeah this, you've suggested this kind of revival for some other things we've talked about on the podcast. This sort of like, like next generation revival, to coin a phrase. It's something I like. And, and, and I, I can understand the appeal. It never grabs me quite as, as much. I think I would rather just tell more Kolchak stories. I don't need a modern day frame around it. Just tell me more cool monster stories set in the 70s. And... uh and absolutely have them in the in the style of we're listening to Kolshak's narration and his tapes and occasionally you hear his narration, occasionally you break in for a dramatization of a scene. Again, this is very much like the hard-boiled private detective radio dramas in the golden age of radio. It works that kind of mystery can work extremely well. Oh yeah, in it- in audio form. So. I like that idea. I wouldn't see any need to to put that modern frame around it. And that's kind of just the way you would be able to make this work if it had to still be a TV show. But I really do think the podcast idea fits it better for a way to continue the story. Yeah. And if it's audio only, you kind of have to go out of your way to point out the distinctions between the different time frames. In oh, the, oh, 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 if you're doing audio only, you don't deal with the new time frame. That's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, Allow I me misunderstood. To, oh, you're, I'm, yeah, now I I'm it. saying if you're doing audio only, it is only Kolchak's tapes set in that time. If you have to make a TV show, you use a modern day framework to tell the stories on those tapes from that time. Okay, I got you now. That, I, I'm, I'm down with that. That works. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that, that, that does make sense. You might need to have some kind of framing device around it or 
at very least, you can do things with a framing device around it. That's and that's cool. only if like you that. need to include the visual medium. If you need to do that, right. Yeah. I still like your idea of doing it audio. Oh, the, the audio is the, the primary idea yeah. there. I think, And the nice thing about doing audio only with that podcast format where it's just his tapes of what happened back in the 70s, you do not have to worry about Kool-Aid Man inflatable dinosaur ever again. Because as long as he can, between the sound of camera shutter, vaguely describe the beast... It's it, it. You've made it exist there. That's all you need, and that's the fun of it. You 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 never have to worry about showing it early because you can just say it later. And I think that'd be fun. And you know there are some fan made audio dramas in the Kolshak universe. <gasps> oh. I have not listened to any of them, but they're out there. So there there are people who share our passion for that idea. Oh, I'm gonna have to take a look at those. Very cool. I I didn't get to hear your your thoughts on potential though. Oh, on uh, on revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Yes. Um, I I would definitely say revive in some format. Either more novels, more comics, or the audio drama idea sounds really cool. I don't see I don't see it working very well as a TV series, and uh, and I don't see any need for a reboot. And there was a reboot TV series. What? And it, from all accounts, it was terrible. What? No, 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 no. Like that, that, that wouldn't even work unless you've got a Cole Shack who is in every opening scene accidentally tossing his own hat in the trash can like he does. No. There's something about this, you know. He was um, an angst in the reboot. He's like an angsty investigative reporter whose wife died and under circumstances where he believes it was a monster and nobody believes him. So he's dedicated his life to hunting monsters or something like that it was just they had to give up an angsty big character story arc because it's a modern tv show was this in the 90s uh probably i don't oh goodness yeah but 90s aughts i uh i never really paid much attention to it after i heard a little bit about it because i just i couldn't imagine changing it that much and still calling it kolshak or the night stalker okay we're just going to ignore that that ever happened there's some episode where you know some angst so some creature with a psychic attack that is fueled purely by narrative angst probably something that thrived in the 90s actually attacked the real kolshak created that it's all a hallucination we'll just dream sequence that and ignore it then (laughs) that sounds horrible you know sometime i'm going to go back to our our old podcasts and create a chart or something but i think that we wind up saying revive more often than anything else. We say rest in peace pretty, you know, know, often enough for stuff that we either think there's no reason to try to redo it or do more of it. And occasionally, I think we will say reboot. But usually, I think we want more of this character or we want to know where the story goes. So I bet we say revive more often than anything else. We've we've definitely got to chart that or see see if a listener has, because... That is that is some useful information. I think that we might be trending in a direction. That would be fun <laughs> to hear. But I think that's all for uh, for this episode of uh, the IMMP. And thank you very much for downloading. Thank you for listening. We hope you're having a great October, and we hope you enjoy this uh, Halloween season. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, with more. 
But in the meantime, where can people find you, Ian? I can be found on Twitter as Item Crafting, on Twitch as Item Crafting Live, and on YouTube as Item Crafting. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at ByMatthewPorter. You can find me at ByMatthewPorter.com. Or uh, you can find me on Twitch at uh, ByMatthewPorter. Uh, especially really late night, early morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, where I am uh, almost halfway through the iOS Stranger Things game. It's kind of a very Kolshak time of night. It is. It's, and you have Stranger Things, another thing that we can say has uh, owes something to Kolshak. Mm-hmm. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at IMMPCast. You can find us online at IMMProject.com. And that's where you will find all of our back episodes, almost two years worth now. And you can find links to our Discord, links to our Patreon. If you can uh, support the show, that would be terrific. Links to our shop. You can support the show by buying fun coffee mugs and t-shirts and whatnots. And that's where you will find any uh, any future episodes, either there or on your uh, your favorite podcast device. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>